This episode is brought to you by Valora. Valora is a self-custody, mobile-first wallet, and the easiest way to send, swap, collect, and purchase digital goods on the Celo blockchain. Download the app and start exploring today at valoraapp.com forward slash empire. We have uh, Santiago the skier back with us. Uh, Santi is uh, debating whether or not to uh, be a professional investor, a professional uh, podcaster, or of recent uh, professional skier. So, uh, Santi, good to have you back with us. Well, it's like what they say, right? If you're a triathlete, you're never good at any of the three disciplines. You're just kind of meh in all three. So I am having an identity crisis. I know I'm not a good skier. I know I'm a terrible investor. And as far as podcasting goes, well, it really does hang in the balance and it will depend on the YouTube comments. So, uh, folks, please guide me in the right direction and uh, I will, uh, <laughs> I'll make a life choice. Have you, uh, Santi, do you, watch, do you watch The Office? Oh, I love The Office. I, I, the Office, and I started watching Modern Family, which is also much like The Office. So, anyways, yeah, I love The Office. Yeah, Modern Family is good. So I'm, watching, uh, so, I'm watching The Office actually for the first time because basically half of the things that Mike says are, uh, are, references from the office and uh, i'm on season nine which i think is the last wow. season and uh and andy so they basically just released the um the like the trailer for for the office show and all the people in the office are watching it and andy is reading the youtube comments and he's like you know there's one commenter who's like andy you're bad at playing the banjo and i'm like oh my god that's santi and me we get like 200 nice comments on youtube and then yeah, yeah. we're like oh, who is this guy yeah yeah, tree there is one for four four seven saying that we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> Shout out to all the uh, all the people that keep us grounded and honest about this. There are a few that have hit home, and as they say, you know, if it really hits home, then you got to work on it. And um, someone I think in the very early days of Empire was saying, "God, this guy really rambles." And I think it was a Terra episode actually. It's like, "Sounds like you just let Doe talk a lot." And I was like, "Well, I don't know if this is a Terra uh, lunatic." Or I'm wrong, and I do think that I ramble still, but I, I made a point not to ramble as much. So, anyways, thank you. I remember that. that. I remember that. App. Yeah. yeah. I um, called you on a Sunday. I got to do some housekeeping. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's real. <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I didn't do the same with you at some point. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. We got to do some housekeeping. One is a uh, uh big shout out to just everyone who listens we had a record quarter in q1 for listens and for downloads uh record march as well just biggest month ever for empire so big shout out to everyone who listens uh we have decided to move the show to uh tuesdays instead of mondays so the guest episodes are going to come out on tuesdays now instead of mondays small switch but if you noticed um the last two episodes guest episodes with Kane and with Rob Leshner both came out on Tuesday. We're going to keep that moving forward. Um, we found that folks like that more. Uh, other updates is we have some new permissionless speakers. Permissionless uh, keeps prices go up every two weeks. Get your permissionless ticket if you haven't already. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting some stuff, but I think I think that's good for this week. So yeah. it's NFT NYC. It's booming in New York. It's 80 and sunny this week. I'm, uh, yeah, my so aura I'm... ring says I'm the the worst sleep I've gotten in like six months, apparently. So well, I thought is because of the crisis uh, and the fighting around Ethereum uh, unlocking. But tell me more about uh, NFT NYC. I heard you post that it was booming. And I was like, and you said, what bear market? And my question to you was, well, if it's booming, you know, is it really a bear market? Have we ever have we really been in a bear market in the NFT land? So um, yeah, tell us more about how that went. Yeah, I, th I, th I think it's booming in the sense that, so yeah, I went to a bunch of good events, went to an Arbitrum <clears throat> event last night. Um, 
went to, there's like an Andreessen Horowitz hosted a good event. Uh, mm. Collab Currency did a good event. Um, we did something with uh, OpenSea and Doodles on Tuesday night. Um, okay. Who's, yeah, who's like attending this conference? Would sense... you say it's like a lot of artists, a lot of NFT? Like, are you seeing the board eight no. kind of so that's, contingency? So, so that's the interesting thing is like, no, honestly, Santi, there's <laughs> no NFT talk. And and like I'm, I gotta approach. I gotta, I'm I'm a little biased because I'm probably I'm not that deep in the like NFT crowd. But I would say there's no NFT talk. There is, I mean, there's there's they're like no NFTs on the walls. I haven't seen one NFT in all of NFT NYC. There's no NFTs on the walls. Um, haven't seen one person wearing a board ape sweatshirt or a hoodie. Um, oh wow! Honestly, it's just a lot of talk about like L2s, MEV scaling. Hmm. What's going on with Solana and Cosmos? Can they compete with ETH? People are talking and about is, uh, is it chatter now around yeah. other use cases of NFTs, or is it just um, purely? Yeah, actually, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had some really interesting conversations with folks yesterday about um, uh, like some big fashion houses. Uh, met some folks from, I think they're probably the biggest fashion house in the world. Um, they're really, really excited about NFTs and like digital fashion. They mm -hmm. kind of painted this picture of a world where, um, you know, every, every website where you'll go to everything from like Nike to Gucci to Louis and you'll go on the website and there'll be a digital section um, yeah. and had like yeah. a really interesting conversation with them. And, uh, you know, when you, when you basically hit the website, like let's, this is the world that they envision is you go to the, you go to the Nike website and there's a digital section mm -hmm. or there's kind of two, two, two versions of this. One is you go to the Nike website, there's no digital section. All you have is like the normal Nike store. You buy your Jordan, you log in with your MetaMask um, or, you know, with your crypto wallet, uh, you, bu you buy your Jordans. And then when you check out, Nike actually just airdrops you a digital pair of those Jordans. Yeah, so that's like, exactly. well, and then you can take those Jordans and wear them in whatever, like, you know, game that's mm -hmm. built on, uh, that's built on uh, crypto rails. You can take them into the game. So that's like version one. Version two that they're excited about is you actually, people end up spending more money on their digital self than they do their physical self. And that's the oh. world I think a lot of them are betting on is that, yeah. um, you know, if you probably talk to you or you, uh, you know, probably I'm in this bucket too. Like I'm, I'm probably not someone who's going to spend more on my digital self than my, actually, honestly, I maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, um, yeah, but anyways, but like they're, they're betting on a world where you, yeah, you go to Louis's website and there's like, or Gucci's website and you've got your like normal Gucci store and then you click the digital section digital and there's like just digital goods that you can purchase. So, yeah. I mean, this was my thesis early on. Like I fundamentally think that like when, when I was at Parify, we obviously were big on DeFi, but then my definition of DeFi is like you're transferring value and an NFT is a transfer of value. And so I sort of bucket that. I mean, of course you could talk about non-art use cases for NFTs, insurance contracts, real estate, um, you know, property like being tokenized and represented as an NFT. Um, but I think that's like real world assets, all that stuff. Like, but just that use case that you just described, I think will be probably the biggest that in the next like two years, that is probably the use case that is the killer use case for NFTs. You already, and, and I haven't seen when you talk about throughout this bear market, we've seen like, um, Tiffany rollout for, you know, a special kind of edition for punks. You, you've seen other, like Adidas collaborate with G money, which is like an, you know, prominent NFT figure. Um, there's, there's a number of like, we had, of course, that episode with Camila 
Um, and one of her coworkers or, or colleagues talked about how brands are thinking about NFTs. And the question that we asked him was, hey, is all this like implosion of, you know, FTX and Terra and regulatory stuff really holding these brands back? And, and I think what I heard was, no, not really. I mean, they've been on this journey for a long time. I think marketers really realize the bullish case for NFTs is people are spending more time online. And they want to, when you think about it, you open your wardrobe, you see a lot of stuff. You open your digital wardrobe, there's not much there. And the reason there's not much there is because you couldn't have digital property. And just to kind of close this art, the loop out is, this has been my approach. Uh, I spent the last week uh, with, uh, there's a few execs in the beverage industry, especially from Coke. And I said, guys, envision this world. And he, was, he actually ran marketing for all of Coke for a number of years. And I, and I pitched them on NFTs. He's already retired. And I said, do you not see this world? And then I kind of explained the flow QR code. I'm in a stadium. You give me a particular image of Coke and of the World Cup or a particular event. And then you know everything about that consumer. And of course, it's just like, whoa. He's like, well, what about privacy? And I said, yeah, that's, I think, the elephant in the room, privacy. Yeah. Yeah, but I I think it's yeah, going to indeed. come much faster than most people appreciate. Like, there's I'm waiting for that huge marketing convention when all these people all of a sudden say, "Oh wow, like Nike's doing it." And if you're Adidas, you're at a huge disadvantage all of a sudden, and and then it just yeah, know, yeah really exactly. spirals from there. Anyway. Exactly. I mean, the two I would say the two things that people are talking about with NFTs are this week, or it's le- at least the folks I've been meeting, which is probably you know, sample size, very small sample size, is um much less JPEG conversation and much more um, digital fashion and then like loyalty programs, I would say. Um, those are the two, like basically just the ability to uh, have a loyalty program that mm-hmm. not just tr- like kind of tracks you around like what your activity is, but actually your financial activity now for the first time. So that's, yeah. a yeah, I think that's what people are excited about. So, I mean, people aren't talking about JPEGs because you know the price of doodles is like 2.7 ETH right now. Um, like they're yeah. just not ripping. So it, it, that's the other thing that you mentioned just now, which I think is so true. Um, when we think about the use, we're going to talk about ETH. Obviously, this has been kind of when you think about. There's not been a lot of news uh, recently, but ETH is kind of front and center. And um, I think fundamentally, uh, when you think about NFTs, most of them are denominated in ETH terms. And it's interesting from a psychological perspective, from a consumer standpoint, it's very different to tell someone, hey, spend a thousand to, you know, one ETH on or 0.25 ETH on something versus, you know, oh, just drop, you know, 200 bucks, 200 bucks. It's like when you think in ETH terms, it's not as, it, I'm, it's not as like, it's easier to win the argument, right? When you think about like, oh, buy this NFT that's going to give you access to a game that's going to launch in two years. For that same price of that mint, you could go out and buy a PlayStation 4 or what is it, PlayStation 5. And But most people don't think like the psychology around that is interesting. And so it, it further reinforces kind of the use case of, of holding ETH, using ETH. You remember way back in the day in like 2017, the arguments around the, velo- like M- like the velocity, like what is it, MV equals PQ, kind of like how we think about like the, the sustainability of token prices and, you know, it, velocity was a huge component around that. Underlying that is, is there any reason for people once they earn something to hold on to it? And ETH, I think just, you know, I understand Bitcoin for all, for all the crowd that's listening right now, Bitcoin has ripped what a hundred percent now since the bottom. 
Ethereum has lagged. It's up like 65, 70%. A lot of it is macro inflation related. And I believe, um, but long-term, if you kind of like zoom out and say what really drives you value, I think is utility, not scarcity. And I think that will probably be the biggest thing that some people may have gotten wrong in investing in this asset class where mm. you're so focused on, on scarcity because that's the meme. That's what we think about when we think about gold and value and some collectibles and whatnot. But by and large, that's like a small subset of the world's, I think, economy. Most of the value in the stock market are companies that just provide incredible value. And yeah. I see that happening more in Ethereum probabilistically than any other kind of layer one, if you will, as a settlement layer. Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about ETH. Let's talk about ETH. Um, by the way, MV equals PQ. Haven't heard that. Was that a, was that a Bernisky 2017 uh, valuation reference right there? Him <laughs> and Chris Peffer uh, from KK, XKKR guys. No, too. John, John, Pe John, John, Pe John, yeah, John, yeah, Pe yeah, yeah. I remember that, yeah. that like big old PDF. Uh, I, oh, I yeah. remember when I was working at the, uh, the, 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 the venture firm, I was like, look guys, crypto is a real thing. There's this guy and he wrote a PDF about this and it's the institutional investors take on crypto assets. Didn't, yeah. didn't help very much. I, <laughs> still, I, mean, I, thought it helped, I, I thought it helped a lot. Uh, at least I could tell you that was most people have read that in wall street than the Bitcoin white paper. Yeah, that's true. All right. Let's that's talk about, uh, let's talk about Chappella, huh? Let's do it. Do you want to walk us through it? Yeah. Um, let's just start by saying, Kamikaze, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. Uh, it seems that you are not not right about this one, my friend. But better luck next time. So the uh, the TLDR here is that um, yeah. So Chappella is um, uh, just kind of collectively mashed together two words: Shanghai and Capella upgrades. Uh, basically, what it does it is it enables unstaking for the first time since ETH staking was introduced in December of 2020. Uh, so if you remember the uh, Ethereum merge. Uh, from a little bit ago, transitioned the network from proof of work to proof of stake. And that happened about six months ago in September 2020. But for the last six months, users still weren't able to unstake their ETH. Um, the uh, validators had been able to, to do things, but there was really no mechanism by which uh, previously staked ETH could be withdrawn. So this Chappella upgrade uh, was, what it did is it like officially transitioned us to proof of stake and it enabled this kind of end to end unstaking flow. Um, and so like ye yesterday, what happened is, um, or no, I, I think a month ago, we, we completed the girly public uh, test net upgrade. And this was kind of like the last month, like the final trial before enabling unstaking on mainnet. And the big FUD and the reason I was giving Kamikaze some shit there is because the, um, the like, the bear case on ETH was that there was going to be this huge unstaking event and it was going to be a big liquidity event and a large portion of people were going to, were going to unstake their ETH. And, um, and those people, you know, have been locked up for this, like a year way, and a half. And just, just to put numbers on this, it was like roughly 50% of all ETH is staked, right? And so, you know, that translated into, if ETH has a market cap to 40 billion right now, that was what, 30 billion, 35, 36 billion that was potentially up for, you know, had to be absorbed in the market somehow. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, assuming, assuming everyone withdrew super quickly, which was not going to be like the case. Right. But anyways, yeah. Or worse. Well, there's a staking queue and we can talk about that. And yeah, um, yeah. I'm giving comic some shit, but like we should actually honestly see how mm -hmm. this week and probably a little bit early into next week plays out. I wouldn't be, yeah. I don't want to 
dance on any graves yet um, because there there's still a little time because there's the, the staking queue. But like, I think, uh, yeah, big summary is like massive success. Um, I remember in 2017, people were talking about how proof of stake was coming maybe that year or maybe in 2018. Obviously, it took a little longer than expected, but uh, yeah, just huge. I mean, proof of stake is finally complete on Ethereum. Massive congrats to everyone who worked on this. Um, if you remember the merge, I mean, I mean, I remember sitting on Twitter being like, is this going to work? Like, is this technically going to go through? And I think it's a huge testament to everyone who works on Ethereum that, I don't know, this kind of just felt like a nothing burger event. Like it felt, it felt mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I wasn't really like sitting on Twitter waiting for it to happen. Not many like threaders posting about it. Like kind of a, it felt like a small news event, even though it's so big. And I think that's a big testament to uh, the trust that we all have in the Ethereum developer community. Um, and then on the, on the asset side, like, yeah, it turned out to be a big, this, you know, whole ETH, Chappella dump FUD was just a big nothing burger. And, um, mm-hmm. it turns out that now that staking works, people actually want to probably stake more ETH. It doesn't mean that they want to sell all their, their lock stake ETH. So I don't know, just a yeah. huge 10, I would call this a big 10 out of 10 success for Ethereum. Uh, definitely de-risk from a technical standpoint, point number one, um, it really closes the loop on on you know transition to proof of stake when you can easily uh, stake and withdraw. So that's point number one. Point number two, I think the biggest uh, the biggest validator in the queue right now is Kraken. People should remember that Kraken has to do this for regulatory reasons. They I believe they settled with the SEC recently on their staking program. It may be related to this. I'm I believe. Uh, now someone from Kraken can correct me here, but I I sort of think that that's the case. Um. And, and so as it turns out, not every, you know, it's a very small percentage of validators that are actually in the queue to withdraw Kraken being the biggest one. It's like five, 6%, I believe in the latest dashboard I saw. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, there was a huge, uh, people should remember uh, way back the discounted, uh, the staked ETH derivatives had relative to the underlying ETH. And this was a big part in the kind of the duration mismatch, right? The liquidity discounts from, you know, as you think about, um, you know, you had to lock up your ETH and it was very uncertain when this particular upgrade would happen. And so naturally the staked ETH derivatives would have, you know, some sort of discount, right? Because you're locking it up. And now it's sort of, uh, I think the, the you could read in one scenario, which I think is a likely, more likely one, uh, one is that you're going to see a higher percentage of ETH being staked. And so... I think it will be interesting to observe that number combined with what the ETH staking reward uh, rate is um, to become quite yeah. interesting. You know, I remember back in the day um, when people think about how new institutions have started to come into the asset class. This was like before the whole kind of bear market started. I started to notice a very meaningful shift in players coming into the space saying, I don't want even, there were causes where I would, I wouldn't even talk about Bitcoin. It was just like, tell me about Ethereum. These are, these are tech focused firms, a lot of hedge funds, like the tigers of the world, sovereign wealth funds saying, it's interesting. Like, tell me more about it. I, we believe in this kind of being so on layer of the internet, the staking rate is super interesting. And they were spending a lot of time around the usability of ETH as an asset that could be basically kind of like paying these dividends. Right. And like, it's a, it's an asset that, you can compound, right, your staking rewards and do some interesting stuff with your staking rewards. And so, yeah, I think the, the biggest things that I'm looking at is, of course, as you said, over the next couple of weeks, how do the withdrawal queue kind of um, 
you know, happened? Like, how does that evolve? Um, and are people restaking um, the shift from centralized staking players to perhaps decentralized uh, options like Lido and Rocket Pool and some of the other players? Um, and, and what that does to the staking, um, rate, uh, the, the, the yield, yeah. right. And so I think those are kind of the things that I'm looking at, but nonetheless, I mean, huge success from a technical standpoint. Um, and, and we'll see what, uh, I guess now the question is, what are people going to flat next on Ethereum? Cause you know, it's coming. So mm-hmm. we'll see. <laughs> um, agree with all of that. I think one small correction is that I don't think Kraken is actually the biggest, hmm? um, ETH depositor maybe right now. I think anymore. it's actually Celsius. No, I think it's actually Celsius, oh, by the way. Okay, maybe it's, um, Celsius. There's the, I, I think the 0x triple E. I'm looking at the wallets right now, uh, just in the uh-huh. queue, and there's this one 0x triple E. I'm pretty sure that's a Celsius address. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, like I'm not surprised. I, I was looking at that when I you know, went yeah. to sleep, and then I woke up, and it may have been updated, but Kraken was in the queue, and it's... Yeah. Or 400 million ETH. It, man, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, here's, yeah. The, here's the other side of what we're saying, is um, the... Uh, the price not dumping, the price was never going to dump right immediately after Shanghai. Um, there, the 1.1 million rewards unlock over like five or six days, I think it is. And then the withdrawal queue and the withdrawal queue is pretty limited right now. So I think people before dancing in celebration, I think it's, uh, we should, you know, we should probably give it a couple days, but yeah, I mean, if we've got to the, like the end of the weekend and there's no dump, then I think it's a, pretty successful nothing burger event yeah yeah it's always again it's it's sort of a a interesting point because you always wonder like is your thesis right when you're investing is your thesis right but then is your timing right or what do you know that the the market doesn't know and so i it's like the it's fairly interesting i i never try to do anything around these events candidly because it's kind of really, really hard to understand. Maybe, maybe all this kind of, you know, moves already priced in. Yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of people in crypto who were like early in crypto got used to news like this actually not being priced in, but the more that crypto develops, the more that news yeah. like this is priced in. And I think we're seeing that this news was probably priced in. And uh, also maybe my left bell curve take would just be that, um, yeah, like when, when in doubt, go to the left bell curve and uh, left side of the bell curve. And like the left bell curve take here was that if anyone is staking ETH, you probably really like ETH and uh, yeah. you're probably like a big ETH head and like you're not going to sell. Why would you sell your ETH right now? So, yeah. Yeah. And one thing to yeah. another KPI, and we'll probably should link to a few nice dashboards that we've been looking at. But, um, you know, on the unstaking component, um you know, it's sort of like it's a skimming process. So it's not, it's sort of determined by the Ethereum network. Um, so they're not all immediately available. Because you could make the argument, if you're a big ETH holder, there are perhaps some strategies here that you're going to just stake your ETH. You're, you're, you're going to hold on to the underlying, but you're going to be selling the rewards. So um, because I think... Depending on your jurisdiction, but my understanding is there's a recent change in the IRS ruling around staking rewards and how those are going to be treated from a tax perspective. So if you, I, you could envision a scenario where, you know, if you're a big institution or whale or even normal retail, you're staking, you're not selling your ETH, but you are being, you need to cover a tax liability at some point on the rewards themselves, right? And so that may, you know, over time, yeah. 
have some selling pressure on the reward itself, right? Some people might want to do arbitrage strategies where they're hedging ETH and just capturing the reward. And, you know, this is no kind of dissimilar between the GBTC kind of arb trade, right? And so I'm sure there's a whole bunch of strategies that have come around. A whole other set of derivative products around staking rewards that are going to probably crop up. The first one being yeah. staked ETH is just the first vanilla one, but there's so many others that I think over the next couple of years will we'll, we'll develop. Yeah. By the way, on the tax side of things, I'm pretty sure the way it works is that um, the asset in like the value, the the asset price going up is taxed as capital gains, and then the income that gets spit off from from staking is taxes mm-hmm. is taxes income. I think that's how yeah it works. Uh, yeah income. Um, I believe there's a, we were actually a big income, part right? of yeah. this was something that we spent so much time. Oh, back in 2018. And then that team ended up going out. That, the lawyer that I was working with, Evan, ended up going to coin, Bison Trails and Coinbase. Uh, but the, that was a formation of the Proof of Stake Alliance. And we hired this great professor from, I think, UVA that was a tax authority on the matter to like really just kind of craft some tax um, policy around it. But I think there's been still not very clear. I don't know. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, looking at looking ahead. So, um, so yeah. Chappelle is live on the network. Withdrawals are being processed. Uh, next next major feature, I think, is EIP four eight four four, right? As part of the uh, Denkun network upgrade, which is hopefully a twenty twenty three thing. And what this does is uh, it increases the scalability of rollups on Ethereum. So excited excited for that to come out too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Anything else? Ethereum front that we should be covering? Mm. No, I don't think so. Yeah. We'll keep everyone posted. And hey, so we have a. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll link to. There's a. There's a. I think the best dashboard, there's this Metrica dashboard. We'll, we'll link mm-hmm. it in the show notes. Valora is the ultimate wallet for exploring the Celo ecosystem. Easily manage over 50 crypto assets and over 30 different dApps for swapping, sending, and managing your assets, all from your mobile phone. The world is mobile first, and Valora believes that crypto should be too. Their global app is localized in over 13 different languages and over 100 countries, giving crypto explorers like you a simple and accessible way to send payments, purchase digital goods, and access a suite of decentralized financial services. You can access over 30 different dApps, all from your mobile phone. One of those dApps is HaloFi. More than 15,000 people are using HaloFi right now to save millions in crypto through custom saving challenges. Go to HaloFi, you can earn badges, mint NFTs, and maximize your savings with HaloFi. It's super cool. To check it out, download the app and start exploring at valoraapp.com forward slash empire. That's Valora, V-A-L-O-R-A, app, app, valoraapp.com forward slash empire i think we have the multi-coin episode coming out on on tuesday with kyle and tushar so this was the first time that they spoke publicly about just like ftx blowing up solana getting hammered uh you know their their fund uh got got crushed pretty hard i know you were one of the first investors in the multi-coin i don't know fund one or fund two back in 2018 or 2019 Mm -hmm. no you've known those guys for a long time uh Mm -hmm. they're troopers they're smart Good contrarian investors. Uh, any any takeaways mm. from that podcast? Yeah, you know, I'll tell just a story of my relationship with Multicoin. You know, I reached out to Kyle when I started reading his his blog posts. Um, 
you know, at the time I didn't agree with everything. Uh, and then I, I met his partner, Tushar. And look, for me, I, I was investing even at the time heavily in, in the space. And so there's no real reason for me to kind of um, invest with a manager unless I believe, and my thesis for these guys was, these guys are probably going to capture something that I don't, right? And as an investor, you don't want to miss major, major trends. And lo and behold, you know, I think they, they were very right on Solana. Um, and for and it took a while for that thesis to play out. You could argue that, you know, as much as there's been huge price fluctuations in all of crypto and their fund, you know, is, is down perhaps uh, for some LPs, but they're, they're, that's what I liked about them. And I, look, I think there's always like this thing that I've wondered, not just multi-coin specifically, and we touched on this in the episode is people talk about being a contrarian investor. And I think Tushar said it very well, which is as a contrarian investor, being a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian makes absolutely no sense because you make no money, generally speaking, usually, unless you're right, of course, but you need to be a contrarian and also just fundamentally think, what am I seeing? What do I know that other people don't? It's like sort of the Peel Thiel, the Peter Thiel construct, which is what am I, what, are, what is non-consensus today, which makes you a contrarian? But then you will be consensus over some period of time. And I say some period of time because that really also matters a lot in this space, particularly in this space, because you're structured as a hedge fund and your LPs might not be as patient, right? At the end of the day, a fund has some sort of life cycle, right? And if you could be right about a thesis in 200 years, but no one cares, you're going to be dead, right? right? So as Mark, you know, as Key said, you know, was it Keynes that said, uh, you know, you could, you could stay, the market could stay irrational more than you can stay solvent or something like this. So nonetheless, uh, no, I think it's a great episode. Look, those guys have, like, it's not easy to be a fund manager, especially in crypto with all the volatility. And you could deliver great returns. And then, you know, it's um, it's it's a challenging environment. I mean, you, you have to, it's not, we, other ha- we had the other episode, which was talking about, uh, you know, setting up a fund it, it, make, it makes really compared to setting up a hedge fund and a venture fund in crypto like there's just so many other hoops and service providers and things that you need to be focused on so yeah look i mean i sympathize with the guys to some extent you know they they've gotten a lot of criticism over the years you know obviously they're not afraid to be outspoken but i will say you know when you talk to a lot of their portfolio companies they will say they're, they're perhaps one of the most helpful investors that we have on our cap table so um, I still remember the last thing I'll say. I still remember one thing that really stuck with me. That Kyle said uh, in an, in a prior Empire episode was he said, "When we make an investment, one of the criteria that we ask ourselves is if this guy calls me on a holiday vacation or Friday night or or sat over the weekend, am I gonna pause everything and kind of work um, with them?" And so yeah, it was. I think it's it speaks to kind of their MO and philosophy. And so, yeah, anyways, uh, I thought it was a good episode. Uh, there's other, we, there's an interesting discussion around, um, kind of their theses. I asked them, Hey, what are the kind of major use cases that you envision going forward? Cause we are in this state where people are kind of questioning the use cases of crypto. And he brought up obviously AI and crypto and, uh, you know, of course, a lot of people are going to read into that and say, Oh, you know, here we go. You know, but I think he, he goes through the kind of three use cases around kind of the combination of two that, that makes candidly some sense. 
Um, and I think it's probably worth digging in deeper into future episodes. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my long take. Uh, I don't know what you, you think. Yeah. Did, did, uh, no, I, I liked it. I'm, uh, I mean, we asked him some tough questions on FTX. Uh, we did. I don't think they realized that the big chunk of the first part was going to be focused uh, so much on that, but, uh, no, that is a good episode. It's got me thinking about L2s. I mean, like they're, um, yeah, I mean, they're like really, I, I think, I think it was Tushar who said any L2 with its own token <laughs> and uh, decentralized governance will eventually vote to become an L1 because token holders are greedy and the market shows that L1s get a significant valuation premium. Uh, also that, you know, L2s are not viable businesses. Uh, I think it's just like, in, like in a world where L2s are really hot right now, like everyone's talking about um, Arbitrum, Optimism, you know, all these kind of ZK rollups and stuff like that. Like, it's just nice to, I disagree with Tushar here, but it's good to hear the other point of view. Yeah. I mean, I've had really interesting intellectual discussions with these guys. I remember pitching them on DeFi and some of they reached out, you know, early on and they, they had it just to believe that it was not going to accrue much value or, you know, DeFi was a thing, but how you invest in it was kind of, we kind of disagreed on that. Um, one of the things that they said about L2s, which I think is an interesting kind of thing, discussion to further have, maybe we can invite Steven from Arbitrum and the OpenSea guys and just them as well and others, is this idea that an L2 eventually bumps into the same issues of an L1 from an architectural standpoint that, the, you know, particularly around the sequencer and the kind of the leadership kind of round robin methodology, right? Which is your essentially, uh, that yeah. was their argument. And which leads well, them, of think, course, to I think say, where they're right. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, which leads them to say Solana is just a fundamentally better architecture, more scalable, and you kind of it's just a ref, you know it from first principles, like you could see it, Solana really kind of scaling versus L 2s eventually reach this bottleneck. Yeah, that is no different than what you're seeing in L one context. Not so that was their take. I don't necessarily agree with that, but you were saying. Uh, I actually do agree with it in a sense. What, here's the, here's the, my like bearish, here's my, um, here, here's what I think people are missing with L2s is that just decentralizing the sequencer is a freaking like, it's so much harder than everyone realizes. And like, I mean, let's take it back to the Chappella conversation. You remember these conversations in 2016 and 2017, where like proof of stake was coming next year and lo and behold, proof of stake came, but it took four or five years uh, longer than people realized. And I think that will be. The L2 version of that is that decentralizing the sequencer doesn't take one year. That's like a, I don't know, we, we got to have the like Astria or the Espresso people on, but like that's a four mm -hmm. or five year thing, I think. I think it's a really hard thing to do that. Um, so yeah. that's, and, and I think, but I think, the, and the thing that could push people to decentralize the sequencer faster and really prioritize it is not efficiency of the network. It's not any actually product related thing. It's probably mm -hmm. regulation will, will, will force people to decentralize the sequencer faster than they, they realize they need to. Yeah. On those two points, one, we talked about base to some extent, and I think they were interested in that as much as they are not very particularly bullish on L2s. Pretty much everyone we've talked to at this point is of the mind that base, which is Coinbase L2 project is very bullish with space from an onboarding perspective. So that was point number one. Point number two is, 
I asked him about a fairly controversial take that he's had, which is, and this is Kyle, he tweeted something, which is he doesn't care as much. He doesn't prioritize security as much as other things right now. And I asked him that and said, well, because obviously I, I fundamentally believe that security is the most important thing. Otherwise, there is no reason why you should be in this space. We can't get security right, then none of this matters. The immutability properties, uh, you know, the censorship kind of resistance properties. Like, I feel like security is is the most important thing. Focusing on security to your point around why it takes so long to ship infrastructure and crypto is getting security right is a very hard thing and not compromising on security, which by the way, security means a lot of things to different people. But when I think about security is, do you have the properties of like immutability of, you know, that the network's, you know, fundamentally secure. You could look at the Nakamoto consensus. You could look at the validator set, like this idea of like, can the network be attacked? Why? Because when you have value on chain, you want to make sure that it's secure. And when you tra do transfers, when you're interacting with these protocols, that they're secure. Um, it, it's a lot of things, right? But fundamentally, I, I think Bitcoin is, when we think about the pecking order, like Bitcoin's the most secure because the most Lindy effect. It's been around for a while. And then Ethereum, second to that. And then everything else kind of is still in progress, right? Uh, we talked about reorgs, which you could argue that there's a process and it's like, Sometimes reorgs are blown out of proportion, but I, I fundamentally, this is just my personal opinion. When I see that, it gives me pause to interact in a network that consistently has reorgs. Not just Solana. You have Polygon. You have others that have this issue. Um, it slowed up. It, it, like it, it's a massive restart to the network, and it could cause wreak really a lot of havoc across like DeFi and some other kind of places. Yeah. And so Ethereum just doesn't have that. Ethereum used to have that back in the day. Uh, people forget. Um, so all I'm trying to say with this take is, look, I think that it's going to be pretty interesting because if you look over the last 10 years, people are going to say, look, well, Ethereum also had this problem, right? Of reorgs and it took so long to ship. But I think the benefit that Ethereum had was there was not really much competition around at, at that time, at that time. And it really kind of solidified the mindshare with the being kind of the primary funding mechanism with ICOs. And then people just sort of stuck building on Ethereum for better or for worse. Now, of course, you have all these competing kind of L1s. And you're wondering, like over Tushar and Kyle said, well, over a five, 10 year horizon, you know, people are going to talk about Solana and some of these other networks. And like, you know, Bitcoin has a head start on Ethereum and it was like a seven year head start. That that gap over time is negligible. It doesn't really matter, right? But I I, I think it's it's subtle, but I think Ethereum continues to be the dominant mind share. It has continuously kind of shipped. Um, and I believe that perhaps some people are really stuck on this idea that it has been a slow organization. It has been slow to upgrade. The roadmap has been super delayed at times. But I've, I think that this particular upgrade is a new era in the Ethereum <clears throat> development cycle where you're going to see faster cycles, more precise, and just give greater confidence of, as an investor, as a user, as a developer, you really pay attention to, which is the execution risk, the, the kind of the, the infrastructure risk that a network has. And I, I, you know, of course, people may read into this and say, I'm, you know, I'm biased, right? I, I most 
you know, of my projects that I'm an investor on are, are based on Ethereum. And I think that needs to be the case. Like developers just have greater certainty, right? Uh, that's not to say that Solana is dead, but still, you know, I, I think that from an infrastructure standpoint, do you agree with partially that, you know, there's still so many things that need to be figured out on the scalability front and the attention will be on L2s and the sequencer. I think that's going to be a major trend. As we think about narratives in this space, I think that will be really front and center because it ties into so many things, as you said, uh, from a technical standpoint, from a scalability standpoint, and fundamentally also from a regulatory standpoint. So that's, I think, probably something that um, over the next six, 12 months is going to be kind of a, a greater kind of focus point in the industry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm much more bullish on Solana than you are. Um, but we, we, I like, I'm, I'm, I really like Solana. I think that, I think this new narrative of like things that are only possible on Solana, like I'm excited by that. I oh, think yeah. that Solana has this huge advantage of being able to see the, all the mistakes that Ethereum made and like get ahead of those mistakes, which I mean, I've seen for Blockworks as someone who's like a little later into the media game, seeing the mistakes that a lot of early crypto media players made, like I've seen how valuable that can be um, sure. for a competitor. And so um, I don't know, I, 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 I like Solana more than you do. Um, but I want to be, I want to be open here. I, I, I like Solana for that reason, as you said, because they're not afraid to try new stuff. To me, one of the things that I always point to, to, to folks is look at the Solana phone. Fundamentally that I, kind oh, of I thinking. I played with it. Oh, did you? Well, maybe in a, in yeah, next yeah. episode, we, we can the, yeah. like, is there anything to do right now? Is it, or is this like a first version of the smartphone that had slow internet and no app store or like the app store was like very limited? Uh, no, there, I mean, there's a, it's basically a Samsung galaxy with a DAP store complete with a zero fee DAP store completely built in. So there's like, uh, yeah, I mean, imagine a Samsung galaxy with a bunch of crypto native apps completely built in with, um, like really easy to use thing, things like marinade and Orca mm -hmm. and phantom and, things on on solana okay it's pretty smooth yeah look i'm not a, i'm not yeah. like i'm i'm not a maxi i'm just stating facts here in terms of my allocation historically has been heavily skewed towards ethereum based projects um but i've invested in other things like you know that i've been public about near solana um and and solana based projects and you know i think uh i'm not of the mind that everyone's blocking solana and, and building elsewhere um and and this will be a true test of the resiliency of, of the Solana community and network. I, I think, um, you know, I I I find we've had Anatolian a number of times and Ben as well, who leads BD. And so, you know, I I it, it's very difficult to be in their position because I think they get disproportionate amount of shit in the industry, right? <laughs> kind of like Coinbase, but um, we need these kind of folks to like really push different kind of solutions right because if you i believe that we're so early from a infrastructure phase still of this asset class that you need to try a lot of other you know design choices for the space unfortunately you can't really what i will disagree with kyle is you can't move fast and break things because moving fast and breaking things in crypto is not the same as moving fast and breaking things in web 2 land like it's it's the pain is much like the damage can is, is much, you know, more real, I guess, when people lose their funds or the protocol gets hacked and whatnot. So that's the only thing that uh, I'm, I'm cautious around. Let's talk about, um, I just want to get your, um, 
your your, uh, your thoughts on Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's over 30K and ETH is over uh, over 2K. Bitcoin's up 9% in the last week. ETH is up 8%. Um, yeah, bulls are back on parade. Um, curious how you're thinking about this. Is this, uh, are we coming out? Are we on, on, on the other side of the bear here? Did we, are we going to go touch those? Are we, is Bitcoin going to hit 20K again? Are we going to see ETH down in the like one 1K range again? Like, where are we? How are you feeling about prices right now? Well, as you know, I mean, prices are, there's a lot of noise in prices in the short term. Um, I would argue that we probably bought them here uh, and we've bought them for a while now. Um, you know, I, 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 I have noticed that, you know, I started to get really excited about Bitcoin, um, you know, last month. Um, and, and yeah, like I, yeah, probabilistically, I probably think we see, so gun on my head, are we going to see, what are we going to see first? 40 K Bitcoin or 20 K Bitcoin? I think we see 40 K. Are we going to see 3K ETH or 1K ETH? I think we see 3K ETH. But like probabilistically, there's higher odds of, of seeing that. There's obviously a number of things that could derail that, right? And scenarios. Uh, macro is still important, I think. But, you know, there's some inflation data that came out yesterday that's not as, you know, not as uh, a bad. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating here uh, for, for value entertainment purposes, I guess. But look, I, I feel very, the thing that, the, th the thing that gives me really conviction is some of the other stuff that we talked about, the NFTs being a huge kind of like entry point for people. This upgrade for Ethereum is critical. The development that's happening in the Bitcoin camp around like exploring with, you know, an L2 kind of scenario. There was, um, what is it? Uh, David Marcus, ex-Facebook Libra guy, just announced kind of his project, right, around supporting kind of lightning and payment transfers. And that, those are the things that get me really fired up about, you know, where we're going. You know, if we have another kind of energy crisis or macro blow up or another bank run, sure, that's going to impact this asset class, for sure. Um, one of the things that I... I would want to talk about another episode is who's the marginal, who's the incremental buyer, right? Who's coming in? How, how much of that is just internal rotation? What, where is this new kind of pockets of liquidity coming from? Um, right. And so, yeah, anyways, uh, the market, the general market's also up a lot. So, you know, you're still kind of correlated to that. Right. Um, so anyone's best guess, really. What, what do you think? Look, inflation's cooling pretty tough for the Fed. Fed to raise rates much higher. Stocks are up. Central banks just came out. I was reading some Reuters thing. Central banks are buying more gold than they've ever bought at all-time high. Bitcoin's above 30K. ETH is above 2K. NFT NYC right now is bullish. ETH Tokyo coming up. ETH CC coming up in July. ETH withdrawals were successful. Feels pretty tough to be bearish. I mean, long-term for sure. Uh, you know, none of this is legal financial advice, but look, let's just for once enjoy the weekend. It's been a huge milestone for Ethereum. <laughs> I, enjoy my weekends. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, no. Well, but I'm saying is like, you know, it's been a great week for crypto, I think. And so let's, uh, let's take it all in. Big and, win. Uh, for sure. Uh, from a long-term perspective, I think this would be one of the key milestones. So anyways, great episode. Uh, not a lot of news, but an important milestone nonetheless. And we'll be here next week, right, sir? See you guys Tuesday for uh, the Multicoin app.